from the Diocese of Springfield in Illinois, this is Dive Deep, where we dive deep into our Catholic faith. I am Andrew Hansen, along with Amber Servany, and for the first time, Bishop Thomas John Peprocki. Bishop, good to see you. Andrew, Amber, great to be with you, too. Thank you very much. Um, we've been doing this podcast for about a year now, so it's good to finally have you on, and we're, we're having you on because... T- 10 years. Can you believe it's been 10 years in our diocese? It is hard to believe it's 10 years already. Yeah. We're going to get into your story of, of how you became our bishop, which I think is always fascinating. We're going to talk about you know some of the favorite things you like, some of your memories and, and things like that. So, uh, But first, just really quick off, off, the, off the cuff here. 10 years when you're thinking, I mean, what, what goes through your mind? Um, you knew, obviously, never you were going to end up in Springfield of all places. You're from Chicago. Uh, so 10 years, what's, what's immediately comes to your mind? Well, just how fast it went. That's the first thing. I, mean, I can't believe it's 10 years. I look back and I've been a bishop here 10 years, which is longer than I was auxiliary bishop in Chicago, which is seven years. So, uh, yeah, it just uh, went really fast. I mean, I also when I think of Springfield. The first time I came here was when I was in eighth grade. That's when everyone comes to Springfield in Illinois. I came for my, for my eighth grade field trip. And then when I was a senior in high school, I came again with my junior, my senior year high school uh, trip. The difference was when I was in eighth grade, we came by bus. In high school, we came by the Illinois Central train. So <laughs> that was, we went first class. <laughs> All right, so we're going to kick things off here with, with a little icebreaker. We're going to call it 10 questions with Bishop Paprocki. We'll call them slap shot questions because they'll okay. be just uh, quick hitting answers. All right, here we go, Bishop. Number one. You dodged this question in the Catholic Times article, so I'm going to try to force you to answer it, even though you are my boss. Besides the cathedral, your most beautiful church in our diocese. Oh, wow. Besides the cathedral, the most beautiful church. Or just one that comes oh, to mind. It's like, well, wow, this is... Right off the bat would be down the street, Blessed Sacrament. I think it's a very beautiful church. Okay. All right. You, answer, you answered the question. <laughs> All right. Second question. What's your favorite restaurant in the diocese? Oh, my favorite restaurant in the diocese. Uh, Probably, um, I'd say Bella Milano. I like that. that good, good, one. good Italian food there. Yeah. So speaking of restaurants, number three, have you had a horseshoe? Oh and, yes. And, and and I know you're you're a health guy. Will you have another one? Yes, I, I can have one about once a year. That's my quota. <laughs> no, the first time I had a horseshoe was just a few months after I came here. Uh, it was the summer of, of 2010, and my brother John and his wife Michelle were coming down here, and she did her research. And she said, uh, we're going to go to Charlie Parker's for a horseshoe. And I said, fine. Uh, but it was a Saturday morning when we were going for breakfast. And, but I was training for a marathon, as I often do during the <laughs> summer. So I, I said, well, I have a 17-mile run to do. We'll go after I run. So I did my run, and they were waiting for me. We were on the way to Charlie Parker's. Uh, Michelle said, uh, you know, these are really big from what she read about them. So maybe the three of us should split one. And I said, I just ran 17 miles. I'm going to eat my own... <laughs> Horseshoe, which I did. I snarfed it down. <laughs> All right. What are your favorite non-Catholic places to visit in the diocese? Favorite non-Catholic places to visit in the diocese? Well, number one, of course, would be the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Museum. I'm a big Lincoln fan, and I love that place. Uh, any, anything associated with Lincoln, the Lincoln home, uh, the Lincoln tomb, uh, the Capitol, uh, the, old, the old state Capitol, uh, where Lincoln was yeah anything with Lincoln those are my, some of my favorite spots all right number five Bishop besides your family what do you wish our diocese has that Chicago doesn't have 
And I thought besides Portillo's, but now Springfield's getting a Portillo, so you can't answer Portillo's. So what's what's one thing you, you should, if you could take something from Chicago and put in our diocese? Chicago Blackhawks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good answer. All right, that was easy enough. <laughs> no question. <laughs> All right, have you ever forgotten your miter or your staff when you went to go somewhere? Or uh, the proper vestment? Not uh, for the ceremony, to go for the ceremony. I think we always had, because had, I have an MC who makes sure we get, we get everything packed. But one time after the ceremony, uh, coming home, I, my crozier, the wooden crozier I have, uh, comes in different pieces. It, it comes apart in four pieces. And so it fits like in a, in a briefcase. And so after um, a confirmation, and it was, I forget where it was, but it was a, a good two hours away from Springfield, uh, we came back and... Uh, it was Father Darren Zanley who was with me at the time. We came back and uh, putting things away, and I opened the, the case with the crozier, and the case was empty. <laughs> we grabbed the empty case because we left the crozier in the sacristy, so we had to arrange to get the crozier back to me. So that's the only time that something like that has happened. That's pretty good, only one yeah. time. <laughs> All right, number seven. Uh, which popes have you met? And give me one word to describe them. Oh, I have met three popes. Pope St. John Paul II. Pope Benedict the Sixteenth and Pope Francis. Oh, I would say um, Pope John Paul the uh, Second, a saint. He, I just he had that sense and aura around him that was holy. You could, you could, you could feel it even while he was living. Um, Pope Benedict, uh, one word, um, intelligence, very very bright, very bright person. Um, Pope Francis, good hearted. A very good-hearted person. I'll say when you you, you met with him uh, back in December, if I remember correctly, and yes. it was uh, I felt like you said it was a different experience. It was very more uh, informal, if I might use that word. And it was, <laughs> you know, the, was, he met with us as a region, all the bishops from Illinois, Wisconsin, and Indiana, and it was just us. Uh, the, the, what do we have? About thirty bishops, uh, twenty-seven or thirty bishops from our region, and uh, just the Pope and a translator. He had a priest. Uh, who was translating from Italian. He, was, he spoke Italian and we spoke English, and then the translator did that for us. But he started out just very cordial, and he said, um, you know, it's going to be an open conversation. There was no assigned topic. He said, you could ask me or say anything you want. He said, if you want to criticize me, that's fine. Just do it here, not out there. <laughs> uh, and then he said, make, make, make yourselves at home. There's water on the table there. The bathrooms are over there, and get up and walk around. if you." So I was just very folksy. Excellent. All right, what's four things that people don't know about you that's not religious? Four things that people don't know about me that's not religious. I'd uh, say so one thing, people would probably be surprised that I like rock music. Uh, I, like, I have a pretty broad taste in music. I like classical music, but I like, um, I like rock music. And, uh, you know, I, I, we had that little quiz in the Catholic Times, so I mean, the, the answer, I, I listed a bunch of concerts and the answer was the correct answer was all of the above. I went to all of them, which included uh, groups like Coldplay and uh, Lincoln Park and Blink One Eighty Two. <laughs> a lot of people would not. A lot of people would not know that I. I think Chester Bennington was a great singer. Uh, unfortunately, he took his life. Um, that was a great loss. And uh, Blink One Eighty Two. Uh, Travis Barker is a great drummer. A lot of people wouldn't think that I would know that. <laughs> All right, so that's one thing. That's one thing. That's one thing people right, don't know about you. I got you. three more things. Yeah, three more things. That people don't know about me. I'm oh. going to throw one in there right now because I want to tease this as well. Yeah. You, you're, you're writing a second book. You just wrote your, so you have, you have two books and right. you, one will be coming out we, and you can t- talk about that. 
Yeah, so my first book was Holy Goals for Body and Soul, Eight Steps to Connect uh, uh, Sports with God and Faith. And Ave Maria Press did that in 2013. They said it so well, so they asked me to do another one, uh, More Folks Than Running. So the title of this book is Running for a Higher Purpose, Eight Steps to Spiritual and Physical Fitness. So it actually gives some hints about how to get into running if you've never done any exercise. It also uh, tells you how to run a marathon because I've run 24 marathons. So I share some of that. So there's some very practical experience about how to actually run a marathon. And then I weave in there. There's a lot of spirituality uh, working on my first book, that how the faith and sports go together. But uh, um, in a nutshell, I mean, to train for a marathon, you have to dig deep into your inner resources. Um, but also there's, a, there's the reverse of that is the more I exercise, the better I feel physically and mentally. I run almost every morning and that's the way I start my day. So it's great. Uh, well, that leads to another thing. People probably, well, maybe some people know this around the diocese. I don't use caffeine. Uh, I gave up caffeine about 30 years ago, actually. Um, I never was a big coffee drinker, but I found out that I, I um, was somewhat um, dependent on it. If I didn't have my cup of coffee in the morning, I'd get a splitting headache. Hmm. Uh, from caffeine withdrawal. I guess my body's just very sensitive to caffeine. And uh, so I decided that uh, it was kind of like going for my annual physical and you can't drink anything before the physical. (laughs) I knew every time I went for a physical, by the time I was on my way home about noon, I had this splitting headache. So it was, I I had actually an appointment for a doctor's exam and I said, okay, I'm weaning myself off of caffeine because I don't want to get that caffeine withdrawal headache. And so I've been off it for about 30 years. Now, I don't miss coffee that much, but it means with soft drinks, I can't drink anything with caffeine. So it's got to be a caffeine-free cola uh, or something like that. Uh, but the, the hardest thing, I think, is I can't eat chocolate. Oh, so because there's, there's got to be a sin. Oh. Now I can I can have a little bit, kind of like a chocolate chip cookie or maybe. Well, there's your purgatory right yeah, there. I mean, you're, you're, you're good. Cream, but, you know, <laughs> yeah. a big piece of fudge uh, that would go. Uh, the caffeine would go right to my brain. So I. I People ask me, would you like some chocolate? I said, no, I can't eat that. And they'll say, you don't like chocolate? I said, no, I love chocolate. I just can't eat it because it's got the caffeine Ooh. in there. <laughs> That's rough. And yeah, then, you, oh, I'm, not, I'm not trying to choose your four things for you, but one thing I thought was fascinating in Catholic Times that I didn't know about you is how many miles you drive every year to get across our big diocese. It was what, like 40,000, I 40, think? 40,000 miles a year. Yeah. It's insane. So, <laughs> it so is. You, you, you know the roads well. All yeah. right. Uh, number nine, your favorite saints you ask for their intercession and why? Oh, my favorite saints, uh, well, for, first of all, Blessed Mother and St. Joseph. Um, I have a chapel at my, my residence, and I have a nice big statue of the Blessed Mother and a statue of St. Joseph, and so I often pray to them for their intercession, the Holy Family, with their son Jesus. And um, uh, then I would say probably my patron saints, Thomas More and John Fisher. And uh, it's interesting how that developed. My parents gave me the name Thomas John. And I asked my mother once, why Thomas? There's no Thomas in our family. Uh, my older sister is Ramona. She's named after my mother's best friend in high school. And uh, my older brother is James. And uh, he's named after uh, my mother's uh, best friend's husband. <laughs> and so and then I uh, said, so, well, why Thomas? I'm Thomas John. Now, my dad is John. And I think they gave me John as the middle name because my dad was a junior. He was John H. Paprocki Jr. And he hated when people called him Junior. So he didn't want any of his children to be a junior. So he gave John to me as my middle name. So where did the Thomas come from? We just liked the name Thomas. (laughs) So over the years, then I became, um, when I became a a lawyer, I got my law degree and then became chancellor of the Archdiocese of Chicago. Thomas More was uh, the chancellor of England under King Henry VIII. And he's the patron saint of lawyers. So I thought he would be a good 
uh, a, a good person to have as a patron saint. And John Fisher was his contemporary. Both of them uh, were martyred, uh, beheaded by uh, King Henry VIII because they refused to acknowledge uh, the king as the head of the church rather than the pope. And uh, so their feast day is June 22nd, uh, which leads to another interesting story because when uh, I was named Bishop of Springfield and I, I needed to pick a date for my installation, and I wanted Cardinal George to be here because he's the metropolitan of our province. And so I asked him, uh, was there a date in June that was good for him? And he said, June 22nd's open to my, on my calendar. And I said, bingo, that's perfect. Uh, that'd be wonderful. So that's why also I asked the priests uh, when they're celebrating Mass uh, to use my first name and my middle name. So in the, in the, in the Eucharistic prayer, uh, you always pray for the Pope and for the, your bishop. And in most cases, you just use the bishop's first name. But I said, uh, in this case, since I was named after uh, Thomas John and uh, I was installed on their feast day, um, please pray for your Bishop Thomas John. Hmm. So that's why they do that. I didn't know about that, that story. That's yeah. very fitting, very providential. Yeah. All right. All right, last question. What's one thing that surprised you about living in central Illinois? One thing that surprised me, I would say the thing that surprised me most is how many people run red lights in this town. <laughs> would agree that's you know why because the traffic light system in springfield is well maybe yes well first of all i didn't know that at first and so when i came here you know you're 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 at a red light and you're behind a few cars and the light would turn green and everybody's sitting there and i'm thinking the light's green why isn't anybody moving well i realize it's because they're looking to see is anybody going through the red light and sure enough, I don't know how many times I've been at the, in my office at the cathedral or in my chapel even, which uh, the window looks out at six, the intersection of uh, 6th and Lawrence. And I don't know how many times I hear this screeching of tires and a bang and I look out the window and there's two cars in the intersection, apparently somebody running a red light. Uh, but <laughs> that's, I was not expecting that. Yeah, you know, I, when I was at Channel 20, I did a story about the traffic lights in Springfield and there was a study done that says for every 1,000 people in a city, you should have one traffic light and Springfield had three times as many traffic lights as wow. they technically should have. So I'm going to guess maybe that's people's, people's impatience are like, you know, I've, I've so. seen enough traffic lights for the day. I'm, yeah. I'm blowing through. All right. Well, that's really good. We got to know you even a, a lot more. That was awesome, Bishop. So now uh, 10 years. So take us back here. Uh, June of 2010 uh, is when you were installed as Bishop. But of course, you got a phone call, uh, which originally even put this all into motion. And it's kind of interesting because you were at an airport of all places. Uh, I was. And I got the phone call from, from Cardinal George. Uh, can I take it back further? Because I want to. I want to. Oh, sure. I want to take you back to when I first became a bishop, because it also involved Cardinal George, uh, which itself I think is somewhat unusual. I think most bishops that I've talked to, they get the phone call from the Apostolic Nuncio to let them know that the, that the Holy Father's uh, naming them as as a bishop. But uh, and the the first time when I was named auxiliary bishop of Chicago, I was pastor of St. Constance Parish, which was a parish uh, near O'Hare Airport. And uh, I was just about out my way out the door, and my secretary said, uh, Cardinal George is on the phone, and you might want to take this phone call. So I went back in my office, and he, he's always direct and to the point. He said, well, uh, you've been named auxiliary bishop. And, um, you know, that kind of takes you by surprise a little bit. And I said, uh, can I uh, pray about that for a while? And he said, uh, oh, sure, why don't you go to the chapel, um, pray, and call me back in half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I was going to say, like, so when, 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 when you're called, you, you don't do, do priests when they become bishops, they have to, they have to answer right away. Yes, much. I accept. Okay. Yeah, pretty much. So he said, he gave me half an hour. I managed to 
talk him into 24 hours. <laughs> I was actually on my way to Mundelein to talk to my spiritual director. I said, can I talk to my spiritual director? He said, fine, and then we arranged to meet the next day. Uh, but then this is another interesting uh, part of the story. He said, well, you know, don't tell your, your family members or even your mother until like maybe the day or two before the announcement because it's under pontifical secret and you want to have them carry this burden for too long. So it was going to be announced on Friday, January 24th, 2003, the Feast of St. Francis de Sales. So I called my mother like early in the week and I said, can I come over for dinner on Thursday the night before? Now that itself was a bit unusual because I typically would go have dinner with my mom on, on a Sunday afternoon. So I said, I want to come over Thursday night for dinner. She didn't question that. She said, oh, fine, that'd be good. So then I said, um, I just have one request. She said, what's that? I said, I'd like you to use the good china. They got this wonderful Noritake china when, they, when my mom and dad got married. And uh, so I want you to use good china. She said, well, what's going on? I said, I'll explain when I get there. So I arrive on Thursday night, time for supper. And uh, she opens the door. She doesn't even let me in. She's in the doorway. And she says, all right, what's going on? <laughs> and I Only said, the way a mother could, right? <laughs> and I said, I just thought you should use the good china if you're having dinner, if, if you're having a bishop over for dinner. She looks over my shoulder. Who'd you bring? <laughs> I said, no, no, mom, it's me. I've been named, so, I've been named a bishop. <laughs> you, get humili- you get that bout of humility right in your first. Right, right, there, right. Right, right. <laughs> right there. Who did you bring? Uh, so and then I said, well, no, it's me. And then she started crying and it was nice and all that. But in terms of humility, the next time I came home for dinner, she had the plastic dishes out. It was like, all right. <laughs> One, yeah, I get the china once, you know. Yeah, that's it. That's All it. right, so that's a little bit of a prelude then. So leading up to when I became auxiliary bishop, this time, again, I get the phone call, not from the nuncio, it's Cardinal George, which I suspect he may have requested that, that he said he would want to tell me personally. Um, so I'm on my way to O'Hare. I was uh, going, flying out to Rome. It was Holy Week of 2010, and I was going because I had an invitation from a priest, Father John Canary, the former rector at Mundelein Seminary, and his sister and brother-in-law. We're going to Rome for Holy Week, and I agreed to go. Uh, there's not a whole lot for auxiliary bishops to do during Holy Week. The cardinal de- was doing it all at the cathedral. I would have kind of celebrated, but he's, I got this invitation. He said, fine, go. So he knew I was going, and he knew I was on my way to the airport, and I get this message that he has to talk to me before I get on the plane. So, and I, I was being driven out there by a priest, and I didn't know if the conversation was going to be confidential or not. So I'd, I waited till I got to the airport so I could be alone when I talked alone somewhat. So I... Uh, I, I, I called him, I got the cardinal, he said, and he, uh, he said, I'm glad I got you before you got on the plane. He said, can you talk? Well, I'm in the terminal. At <laughs> I said, well, I'm in the terminal, but I, yeah, what, what's going on? Again, right to the point. He said, you've been named Bishop of Springfield. And uh, then since, said some very positive and glowing things about me that uh, he, he never said to me until then. <laughs> it's like, well, now you tell me how much you appreciated me. But anyway, it was, it was very nice. Um, uh, but then, he, uh, then I said to him, I said, well, you know, I'm going to Rome. And um, I plan to go to the uh, general audience on Wednesday morning. The Holy Father has a uh, general audience usually every Wednesday morning. And bishops are always invited. Uh, if you're dressed like this as a bishop, you come up and you sit uh, basically on the stage with the Pope. And then after the Pope finishes his audience, the bishops come up one by one and they greet the Holy Father. So I said, well, you know, um, if I go to the audience, I'll have a chance to greet the Pope. Do I say something about this? Um, and, and, and Cardinal George said, well, you know, it's still under pontifical secrets, so you've got to be careful that you don't say something and somebody overhears it. 
So he said, but if you can, you know, be discreet, uh, yes, you can thank the Holy Father for the appointment. So sure enough, now there's only four bishops there because it is Holy Week and most bishops are in their own dioceses. I think there were two bishops from the Roman Curia, a retired bishop from the United States, and myself. And I'm junior in seniority, so I'm the last one up there. So I go up there, it's just me and Pope Benedict XVI and the Pope's secretary kind of off to the side here. And I figured, well, he knows everything that was going on anyway. So I just, I greeted him and I said, uh, Your Holiness, I just want to thank you for uh, the, uh, the appointment. I just got word that you have appointed me to be the Bishop of Springfield in Illinois. I want to thank you for that appointment and assure you I'll try to do my best to be a good bishop. And he was um, smiling and nodding at me, and I'm thinking, I wonder if he has any idea where Springfield or no. <laughs> I hope so. All you just do is say, you said to say Abraham Lincoln. You probably went, yeah. ah, ah, Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. So uh, it, was, it was very nice. So uh, I have a good picture of that. So, uh, yeah, it was a good memory of that. Yeah, and that picture's in the Catholic Times. Now, i got to ask, um, you know, when you, when you join the seminary and you want to become a priest, obviously bishop is not on your mind. You, 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 you priests want to be pastors. You want to be in the city. I mean, when you get a phone call that you're going to, you're going to leave everything you know, everyone you know, and go to a, an, another city, I mean, how, how difficult is that to, to accept it and, and to get over it and, and, to, and to trust in God? Because I, to me, I'd feel like, boy, that that actually kind of sounds like a rough phone call to take. You're leaving everything and mm-hmm. everyone you, 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 you loved. Mm-hmm. It is, uh, but it's something that I think, uh, fortunately, I had uh, a number of years to kind of grow into that. So it, uh, like when I was first ordained, yes, being a, a bishop was the furthest thing from my mind. Uh, the Archdiocese of Chicago was so big, even the cardinal was a remote figure. I Met, met with him maybe a couple of times. You know? So even like before my diaconate ordination, I think I had like a 20-minute interview with him. There were 29 in my class. For, so even for him to have a 20-minute interview with each 29 of his uh, ordinandi, that took up most of his day to do that. So uh, the relationship with the cardinal was something that was kind of distant. And so the thoughts of you know, uh, this, uh, being a bishop is kind of remote. But then over the years when I was asked to be uh, the Chancellor of the Archdiocese by Cardinal Joseph Bernadine, and then when he died, I con- continued with Cardinal George. So then I got to work more closely with cardinals and got to know them, and uh, uh, the, the whole idea became a little more familiar. It also helped then, I think, when I was auxiliary bishop in Chicago uh, before I was named uh, to Springfield. So I'd worked with a couple of cardinals. I was a bishop myself, although I was still in Chicago. Uh, so then coming to Springfield... Uh, Yes, it was somewhat jarring. It was somewhat helpful, though, that Springfield's only three hours away. Again, uh, my mother, when I told her I was coming to Springfield, her first words out of her mouth were, you're going to be farther away. (laughs) And I knew Spokane, Washington was open at the same time that Springfield was open. I said, Mom, it's only a three-hour drive. It could have been Spokane, Washington. So I think we should be happy that I'm going to to Springfield and not to Spokane. So she was happy with that. Yeah. And when you look back over your 10 years here, I mean, what, what are some of the, the highlights of, of you being bishop? You know, I, I think of the synod, um, I think personally as a lay person, how you've, you've traditionally and you've been ardent supporter of our Catholic faith. And, um, you know, that's been so refreshing uh, to hear. And you've done, you've run marathons, you've raised money for charities, you established Catholic charities, legal services. I mean, what are some of the things that you look back on and you're like, you know, this, we, we've done some good things as a, you know, as a diocese un, under my leadership. Well, I think uh, one of the things that I have enjoyed most is ordaining priests uh, because that's something I, I never did until I came here. So even though I was a bishop, 
for seven years as auxiliary bishop, uh, the cardinal would do the priesthood ordinations, of course. Uh, I did a few diaconate ordinations, so there, there's a number of religious communities uh, that study at Catholic Theological Union uh, on the south side of Chicago near the University of Chicago. And um, they would typically ask uh, uh, one of the bishops to do their uh, diaconate ordination, and sometimes even priesthood ordination. Well, I only did diaconate ordination, so until I came here, I never had ordained a priest, having been a bishop for seven years. And so the first, very first priest I ordained was Father Brian Elford, who is now our vocation director and pastor nice. uh, at St. Jude in Rochester and soon to be the rector here at the cathedral. So I, I, t- I started in the beginning of the alphabet with Alford. <laughs> and so uh, he was the first that I ordained. But uh, we've seen, a, um, a, we've been blessed uh, with a tremendous increase in vocations in our diocese over the last 10 years. So when I came here, we had uh, 11 seminarians. And I think this year uh, we have like 23 seminarians uh, and eight of them uh, ordained a priest this year. So I'm, I'm very happy about that because eight ordinations this year, that's the, the biggest number since 1964, mm-hmm. so over half a century ago. And, um, you know, the fact that we've already ordained two of the men, uh, Father Piotr Kosk and Pavel Uchek, and uh, then the other six I'll be ordaining uh, on Friday, uh, June 19th. Uh, so that's, and, and the brother of one of them, Christopher Trummer will be ordained a deacon, his brother Michael will be ordained a, a priest. So, so seeing that and just the response, so um, I put a lot of work into vocations. I, every, with every confirmation I do, I always do a little vocation talk about priesthood, religious life, and matrimony. Uh, it's also a very important vocation that we need to talk about uh, because unfortunately uh, a lot of um, young people are not hearing much about matrimony. And so the, uh, that, that vocation needs a lot of attention as well. And uh, so I'm just very grateful that, that so many uh, really fine candidates, not just the numbers, but I think we had some really fine candidates. In addition to um, ordination, I'd say one of the other highlights was the Synod that we had in 2017. And uh, uh, looking back, again, the timing, I think it, even though I came here in 2010 and we didn't have the Synod until seven years later, I think that was a good thing because uh, I wanted to know the diocese better before I would do the synod. Now, the synod, in a way, helps set the direction for the, uh, for the bishop and for the ministry of the diocese, but I didn't want to start one right off the bat. Um, I, I needed to kind of learn the diocese a little more first. So by, so by the time we got there in 2017, also some other things that happened in the meantime when um, my vicar general, then Monsignor Carl Kemi, was made bishop of Wichita, and uh, Wichita has, a, has a, a long history of commitment to being a stewardship diocese. They do it very well. And so we, we began sort of an exchange program between Springfield and Wichita. And some of us were going to Wichita, and we had people coming from Wichita to talk to us. And we learned a lot about discipleship and stewardship. And so I decided to do a synod on that theme. And uh, it was a great process. It was a lot of work. It took up most of the calendar year of 2017. We started... Uh, with a kickoff in uh, January, and we finished uh, on Christ the King uh, Solemnity in, uh, in November, the end of November. But in the process, we had lay delegates from each one of our 129 parishes. We had priests, we had religious, we had deacons. And uh, so it was a great cross-section of the diocese and put, put questions out there about, all right, what does it mean for us to be a diocese that's committed to, to stewardship and, and discipleship? And uh, uh, I think it was a great way of getting some some buy-in on some of the things that came out of that. For example, the restored order 
for the sacraments of initiation. Uh, if, if I had just announced we're going to do that, um, uh, it probably would not have been as well received. But the fact that we had conversations about it, and, and even when I first introduced the topic, frankly, I was not that convinced that I wanted to do it myself. Uh, and I said that. I was honest about that. I said, I, this is something I've been hearing about and reading about. Um, and my reluctance was because it, it would be a big change in, even in my schedule, because as the minister, the ordinary minister of confirmation, to, to change that and to, to bring it uh, together with First Communion at a younger age. So when I put the question out there, I think that it struck a chord with a lot of people, that, um, especially with our catechists and, and our pastors, um, being a little frustrated, I think, all the time and effort they were putting into confirmation and then uh, once once uh, uh, a student was confirmed, they just disappear. You know, it, and it should be the opposite. It should be confirmation is the beginning of your Christian life. And unfortunately, too many were seeing it as graduation. And some of them would even say that. You know, I'm done with the church now. It's like, no, I don't think you're done with the church. But that's how it was in their mind. So I think a lot of uh, the, uh, the religion teachers themselves were frustrated with that and saying, what we're doing is not working. So let's try something different. So... Uh, so that's the enthusiasm, I think, of things like that. And that's been going well, right? I mean, you're, we're, in, we're in this now for a little bit, and you've kind of, you started it, and it's going well. You're, getting, you're hearing positive things from... Definitely. Yeah. Uh, well, the, the, the one thing that comes to mind, and Amber, you're, you're here on the part, it's, it's going positive because you have that one line of, if, was it, why, would, why would we delay the grace of the Holy Spirit, especially when we see how the culture is impacting our children at a younger and younger age? Why would we delay that? Yes, I mean that's uh, that's a big part of it. Is in terms of uh, I think the the need for God's graces at a younger age. I think uh, with the internet and, and smartphones and things like that, I I think there are a lot more temptations out there, uh, more easily accessible for young people at a young age than than even I had when I was growing up. Uh, so I'd, to get those graces uh, at an early age, but I I also th- uh, think that. Uh, you know, the enthusiasm uh, came from, well, the, the fact that we learned a lot from the Archdiocese of Denver, Archbishop Sam Aquila, uh, who was with me in Rome. We studied together. He was doing uh, his studies in sacramental theology while I was doing canon law. But it was at that time, I think he did his thesis or his dissertation on this subject, the restored order. So he introduced it when he was Bishop of Fargo, North Dakota, and then he also when he was in Denver. But in Denver, because the Archdiocese there is so large, he had a five-year phase-in plan that you would do third grade and eighth grade uh, together, uh, but it would take you five years then to get all those middle grades caught up. Well, when we introduced it here in our diocese, I said, well, we, we could do that third grade and eighth grade, maybe for the bigger parishes. And, um, but if it's a small enough parish where you know, they could do grades three through eight or even high school all at once, and maybe even with all those grades still only have 20 or 25 so some of the parishes were doing that, but then some of the bigger parishes were doing the same thing. And there were, I was getting requests, well, we have, uh, you know, we have 70 we want to confirm on uh, uh, Saturday night and another 70 we want to confirm on Sunday morning. So I was doing some of them like back to back and uh, multiple uh, ceremonies. So I think it was a great eagerness and a lot of, a lot of parishes saying, you know, we just want to get sense caught up. We want to get to the point where, all of our uh, confirmandi will be in third grade receiving confirmation and First Holy Communion. Well, I remember a story yeah. you said, I think it was St. Jerome and Troy, if I remember correctly, you had a girl running yes. to receive confirmation. And 
You never saw someone run to confirmation before. Right. There were two things unusual about that. First of all, that it was St. Jerome and Troy, and they did their confirmation at their request at St. Peter and Paul in Collinsville. And I, I was amazed that they, you know, the, the, par- the parishioners were willing to go along. Their pastor, Father uh, Kevin Lawfrey, uh, suggested this because St. Peter and Paul is so much bigger. And they wanted to, you know, do them all. And on two nights, it was a Sunday night and a Monday night. And so uh, we did that. But then the, the, amongst the third graders, one of the, uh, the confirmandi actually came running up the aisle and the uh, sponsors running after <laughs> the, the child because, uh, you know, just the eagerness. Yeah. Uh, and I never had an eighth grader run up the aisle to be <laughs> Now, some of the other things uh, that people may not know about you um, the, deg- the degrees you have. Um, so I want you to talk about the degrees you have and the, r- the rationale behind it because, you know, as I've gotten to know you, especially uh, working as your communications director, I am utterly amazed at the responsibility a bishop has from the finances, human resources, development. I mean, you're, you're running, I mean, not to use a secular, but you're running this multi-million dollar organization that spans across 28 dioceses. So, but you, you were proactive and you got a lot of degrees to help you along in this process. Yes. Well, um, I like education you know, I, th- I think I've been blessed with a very good education. I started in a high school seminary. It was a very classical education with uh, Latin and Greek mythology and things like that. Uh, but also, I think a big part of my development in all this uh, was the fact that President John F. Kennedy was elected when I was eight years old. And uh, a lot of excitement about that, uh, being in a Catholic school, and even the nuns were excited, a Catholic, the first Catholic president of the United States. And so that kind of got my interest in politics. And, uh, and then when he was assassinated, that, you know, all that kind of got shattered. But in, in another way, was still I just was enamored with that whole idea. And so in, in college, I majored in political science, uh, which we, uh, our college seminary uh, was affiliated with Loyola University. We had to minor in philosophy, as most seminaries have, minor or major in philosophy. But I was, I was able to major in political science. So that got me interested in the, the whole area of politics and law. And also being in the seminary at the same time, uh, I was getting uh, interested in teaching church's teachings about social justice and helping the poor. And um, so I got my, my theology degrees. I got a Master of Divinity, which is uh, the basic degree for ordination. Then I got an advanced degree, a licentiate, they call it in sacred theology. That was actually in medical ethics. And that's another interest of mine. Um, I work with the Illinois Catholic Health Association, a lot of, a lot of issues. But uh, then it was like this, uh, well, there was another significant thing that I think affected my life. In 1970, there was a Synod of Bishops in Rome on the theme of justice in the world. And there was one line that came out of that document, and I remember this uh, because it, it really kind of changed my life. It was um, action on behalf of justice and uh, participation in the transformation of the world is a constitutive dimension of preaching the gospel. Now, what does that mean? That's, that's uh, one sentence in that document that I say it changed my life because what was in there, action on behalf of justice. So it wasn't just talking about it. And a constitutive dimension means that if it's constitutive, that means it's not added on. It's not like, well, I've got my main ministry, and if I got a little spare time, I'll do something for justice. Justice has to be a constitutive dimension. So when I was um, uh, being ordained, uh, coming up to my ordination as a priest, I thought, well, I want to make helping the poor and uh, serving justice a theme of my ministry. Uh, I don't want to just talk about it. So 
I actually, um, when I was ordained in 1978 and assigned to a parish, uh, right after I was ordained that very next fall, I began law school at DePaul University College of Law, which uh, I think had a lot of people scratching their heads, even Cardinal Cody, who ordained me. It's like, because people, uh, I think they did not knowing that background, were thinking, I just ordained him. Uh, he's on his way out. He's training to become a lawyer, and he's going to leave the priesthood. And they're, no, 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 I'm not thinking of leaving the priesthood. I always described the law degree as a tool for ministry. And so um, I got my law degree and passed the bar, and then I co-founded a legal clinic. And frankly, that's what I thought I would do for the rest of my life. I wanted to be a parish priest with a special project of providing legal services. And the, the area that I was most involved with was immigration law. So there were a lot of Hispanic uh, people on the south side of Chicago. I was in South Chicago, right next to U.S. Steel, a lot of steel workers. And they were shutting down, so we had like 35% unemployment. So there were a lot of needs there. And uh, so I was doing that, and uh, that's I said I thought I would do that the rest of my life. And then Cardinal Bernadine asked me, uh, knowing I had a law degree, asked me to help at the Chancery Office, which I did. And uh, then after a couple of years, he said, well, you're doing more canon law than civil law. So he sent me to Rome to get my canon law degree. And so I got a doctorate in canon law at the Pontifical Gregorian University in Rome. I came back, and then he made me chancellor of the archdiocese. So I became much more involved in the canon law aspects of things. And then uh, I became a pastor at St. Constance, an auxiliary bishop, and then bishop here. And when I came here, well, actually before I came here, I had been talking to uh, you know, some of my, my marathon buddies. We... We marathon runners tend to be high goal-oriented people. <laughs> so, uh, you know, a marathon is a goal. Running 26.2 miles is a goal. But I found that a lot of my marathon buddies were kind of like me. Uh, they were dual professionals, lawyers, CPAs, uh, you know, executives, um, and whatever. And so uh, some of them were, had MBAs. And so they started talking about the executive MBA program. And so I actually applied for it and got accepted at Notre Dame uh, and their executive MBA program. Uh, while I was still in Chicago, you have to get your employers okay to do that. And when I asked Cardinal George, he actually said no. You've learned enough. You're already it's a lawyer. Pretty much what he said. He said, you don't need an MBA. He said, you know, you've, you're a good administrator. You know all that stuff. So I, I had to wait until, um, and Notre Dame was very good about this. I, I, had, I told him I had to decline the uh, the uh, the opportunity to study and and they they said well we'll treat this as a deferment and we'll keep the door open if you if anything changes so a year later it was 2009 I get a phone call has anything changed no I'm you know still can't do it a year later I get assigned here in 2010 and I kind of forgot about it and then a year after that 2011 it popped back in my mind and I called and I called Notre Dame and the admissions uh, director there. I said, is, that, is the door still open? Can I do that MBA? And he's like, you want to do it? I said, yeah. So they gave me a full scholarship, and uh, it was great. Uh, I was, it was in Chicago. It was all day Friday and Saturday, every other weekend for, uh, for a year and a half. So, uh, and that's, you know, you know, we're so blessed to have you as a bishop in so many ways, but, but I just think also of, of the practicalness of your background being able to manage the diocese from a business perspective and also then you have your canon law degree from a theological perspective. I mean, it's, it's amazing the, the amount of things that I see you're bombarded with on a daily basis from, from human interest or from human, human resources to business to theological requests. And that background has just had to suit you so well. Well, it, it definitely helps. I mean, cause even with my, 
my legal training, I, 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 I never felt that strong like in finances. Now we have a, we have a great finance officer in the diocese, but still the buck stops with me. I've got to approve the budget and expenditures and things like that. And uh, so it was great taking, you know, some of the accounting courses and finance courses and things like that. But also um, one of the things I liked most about um, uh, business school was the, the leadership aspects of that, uh, different courses. And, you know, I remember even the course on leadership decision making, um, the professor, in effect, kind of pointing out that I was the CEO of, of uh, a corporation, you know, how many how many people do you have in your diocese? How many Catholics? Well, about 440,000 people that I'm responsible for. How many parishes do you have? 129 parishes. And how many priests do you have? About 100 diocesan priests. You know, so, well, you know, you're, you're in charge of, um, of, of this organization. And the thing also that I learned is uh, no matter what the organization is, whether you're a church or a, a business or selling cars or houses or whatever, Many of the principles apply. You're dealing with people and you're dealing with finances. The mission is different. So we, we definitely have to, to be attentive to the mission, but many of the things are the same. So, for example, uh, I had uh, one of my professors um, in uh, strategic planning, Chuck Bamford is his name, a very good teacher, and uh, I had him come to talk to our priest once at our convocation about strategic planning. And he was doing a great job, except when his presentation to the priest, he kept talking about your customers. <laughs> and I, I pulled him aside during the break and I said, your, your talk's going great. I just one request. Every time, instead of using the word customer, can you say parishioner? Oh, okay. You could do that. Uh, but, and then all the priests are like, oh. <laughs> but it was the same thing because I used to do that in class. I mean, they would, they would be talking about business concepts you know, and I had classmates, it was an executive MBA, so I had classmates from McDonald's, from Starbucks, uh, from uh, Google, I had just all these uh, executives in my class. They'd be talking about all these business concepts, and as they're talking about them, I would be translating that in my brain. How does that apply to the church? Uh, and a lot of it does. Um, as I said, in, in terms of leadership, decision-making, communication, uh, finances, uh, you're dealing with people in the church. And so all of those things very much apply. When you hear the phrase, you know, a bishop is a successor of the apostles, what goes through your mind? Do you think about that often? I do. You know, I, um, it's, a, it's a very humbling thing to, to realize that and, uh, and even to, uh, to be able to trace that back. Uh, there's, uh, there's a genealogist that actually does Episcopal lineage uh, unsolicited. When I became a bishop, I got this packet in the mail that uh, had, had traced my Episcopal lineage, as they call it, or my genealogy. Anything it, interesting? Well, it is interesting because I was ordained a bishop by Cardinal George, and he was ordained a bishop by uh, the, uh, the the Apostolic Nuncio at the time, who was Archbishop Cachavalan, when when uh, then Bishop George became Bishop of Yakima in Washington. And so the Secretary of State um, had ordained Archbishop Cachavalan, because the, the nuncio is basically in the diplomatic corps, which is part of the Vatican Secretary of State. So uh, Archbishop Cachavalan had been ordained a bishop by Cardinal Jean Viau, who was a Frenchman. And so my lineage goes back through France. So I, get all, I have all these French bishops in my, my lineage, and then it goes back somewhere to about 1300. And then it stops because they, they just don't have records before that. But the fact that they can trace it that far back is pretty impressive uh, with names and dates and all that. So it says, well, 
you know, the rest of it I have, I trust on faith that, uh, you know, by oral tradition, at least we know that uh, you're going all the way back to our Lord calling those first 12 uh, apostles and that I'm a successor of that group. So it also gives me a sense of closeness to our Lord that as he called the apostles, he continues to call us to be his, his apostles. So when you were an archbishop, did you think I'll be bishop one day? And as bishop, do you think cardinals out there for you? Do you think about that? <laughs> no, uh, not, not <laughs> so much. Maybe when I was a little bit younger, I, I thought, but, uh, you know, I remember when people ask me, uh, like, do I want to be an archbishop or a cardinal someday? I, re- I always remember my dad's answer to a, a question that I asked him. My dad was a pharmacist uh, and had, had his own pharmacy. My, that was his, his father's uh, store. So my grandfather and my dad were pharmacists. And my dad's brother was also a pharmacist. And my dad's brother, Uncle Joe, he had a, a drugstore that was about twice as big as my dad's. And I remember once after having visited my uncle in his pharmacy with my dad, we were on the way home. I don't remember how old I was, but I, I asked him, I said, Daddy, how come you don't have a really big drugstore like Uncle Joe has? <laughs> <laughs> and my dad said, uh, bigger store, bigger headaches. That's all he said. And I said, oh, okay. and that's what stuck with me. So when people say, don't you want to be a archbishop of a really big archdiocese and I would just use my dad's answer bigger bigger diocese bigger headaches no thanks <laughs> now uh tell us some stories here what, what's what's uh some what are some funny stories that, that have occurred to you uh throughout your 10 years here in the diocese of Springfield I know one that comes to mind you mentioned the Catholic Times you, you tell tell us that story about you you pulling up and uh, you got a little bit of a mismatch from a parishioner no, it was a pastor. Oh, a pastor. It oh, a pastor of all people. <laughs> it was the pastor who is now deceased. But, uh, yeah, it was shortly after I came here, and Father uh, Darren Zainley was my, uh, my master of ceremonies, so he was driving. The pastor had been in the, in the hospital uh, for a while, so he was having some health uh, problems. But, but he was out of the hospital, and I was coming there for Mass, and uh, he was actually waiting in the parking lot uh, for us. And so as, as Father Darren and I were getting out of the car, Father Darren's getting out of the driver's side, and he says to him, well, welcome, Bishop. <laughs> welcome to our diocese. And I'm getting out of the passenger's side, and he looks at me, he says, well, you must be the bishop's assistant. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I, you know, either he's really losing it or he's pulling my leg. I, don't, I still don't know to this day. <laughs> now, I remember talking with Father Peter Harmon, who was... Uh, once rector at the cathedral, now he's rector at the Pontifical North American College in, in Rome. And he, he told me a funny story of, I think it was your, it was your first year here, and he, he says he got caught copying and pasting because in his bulletin he put, and we pray for a new bishop, uh, this was around Christmas time. He, he copied his column from a year ago. Yes. Well, you you were just appointed, and so then he said he circled it and put it in your mailbox and said, "I will explain this to you tomorrow morning that we're praying for a new bishop." What, tell, what was your reaction when you saw that? Well, he came actually. He came running up to my residence. I'm on the third floor of the cathedral rectory, and it was right before the Saturday evening mass. And uh, so he comes running up to my residence, uh, and. Uh, He's all red-faced, and, and uh, I think both from running up the stairs as well as embarrassment, he says, I, Bishop, I've been caught red-handed. And I, I'm thinking, oh, well, this is what happened. He says, I've been caught cutting and pasting. But, well, that's not so bad. You know, what did what, you do? He said, no, it, he said, it's in the bulletin. And, and it, was already, it was like five minutes before Mass. He said, it's in the bulletin. It's in everybody's hands. I cut and pasted last year's New Year's message. I said, oh, so that's all right. I mean... 
He said, no, 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 you don't understand. He said, I put in last year's New, new Year's message that we're praying for the Holy Spirit to send us a new bishop. <laughs> he said, I don't really mean that. <laughs> oh, my God. I love those kind of stories. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you think back in your 10 years, it's, you've obviously had a lot, lot of joys and, and, and a lot of laughs. And... Um, you know, kind of, kind of set the future here. Like, what, what do you, what do you hope for our diocese? What, what's, what's your prayer? And um, I know, God willing, you know, most bishops retire at seventy-five. Uh, so you got what is it, seven more years? If I got it correct? Yeah, I'll be, I'll be sixty-eight in uh, August. Okay, so a little so, over, se- a little over seven years. So we hope and pray you're, you're here with us for at least another seven years. What's, what, what's, what's kind of your vision? Do you think? Well, uh, first of all, I'd like to see continued imp- implementation of the synod. So when we finished the synod in 2017, at that point, I had 10 more years. And so I said uh, to folks at the end of the synod, I said, this, I think this is the plan as, as I look at it for my, my next 10 years as your bishop. I, said, I, don't, plan to, I don't plan to do another synod. <laughs> I'll leave that for my successor, especially since it had been 50 years since the previous one. So uh, I said, I'll leave that for my successor. So basically, this is it. What you read and you go back to the synod documents, our declarations, uh, that's our, our roadmap, I think. So uh, as, we, as we continue to implement the restored order, uh, I think that'll be good. But I think uh, also how we do discipleship and stewardship is uh, there, we have a long way to go on that. That's, uh, you know, I think we've planted some seeds. Um, I, I maybe won't even see that come to fruition in my lifetime, but I think uh, being here in um, farmland uh, territory, you kind of learn from uh, you know, the farmers that you plant the seeds and, and uh, you just have to wait. And so uh, I think the same with vocations. Vocations, you plant the seeds sometimes. And uh, um, even St. Paul said one, one sows and another reaps. So maybe somebody else will, will reap some of the benefits of that. But I really do hope that uh, we can continue to get uh, vocations um, to the priesthood. Um, so uh, one of the, uh, the, the great blessings, of course, of ordaining eight priests is uh, having eight more priests. Uh, on, the other, on the other hand, we have eight fewer seminarians, <laughs> so we have to work harder to kind of replenish that number uh, to get it back up. Uh, but uh, So that's been a great thing. I'm also very pleased that we've, we've seen a number of vocations uh, of religious women. We have a great community in our diocese, the Sisters of St. Francis of the St. Martyr St. George, uh, of the Martyr St. George in Alton. And, uh, and as I said earlier, uh, the, the challenge of uh, matrimony. And so that's one of the reasons why I appointed Father Dominic Rankin to be Associate uh, Vocation Director, because he has his uh, theology degree, his licentiate in sacred theology and marriage and family life. And so he's going to be working with me full time as my, my secretary and master of ceremonies. But uh, he'll also be working with Father Brian Alford in the vocation office. And Father Alford's focus is, is more with the seminarians, working with the seminarians and applicants to the seminary. So I thought with Father Dominic's background in marriage uh, that he could focus on, on that, uh, together with Carlos Tejeda, who's in charge of our Office for Marriage and Family Life. But uh, with Father Dominic, I wanted to be more of the focus on, on marriage, on, on, vocation, on the vocation. So Carlos, for example, helps to, he does the marriage prep, pre-cana, and things like that to get people ready for the sacrament of matrimony and then uh, family life. Um, but in particular, for example, like going into a high school and... Um, having, um, you know, talking to students about vocations. So they hear about vocations to the priesthood, hear about vocations to religious life. I also want them to be hearing about vocation to marriage and family life because uh, I don't know if, I know they're not getting that message out in secular society, so they need to hear about that as a sacrament. So we'll, uh, we'll finish with this question. Your message to the faithful, 
Um, obviously, we're coming off the coronavirus, a lot of uncertainty, uh, a lot of uncertainty in our, our nation and, and, and other ways as well when it comes to justice, social justice. Um, we see more people falling away from the church, more people becoming nuns, N-O-N-E-S, people who, who say, I have none religion when you ask them that question. Um, so obviously, you know, you, to keep the faith, but, but what, what is your message to the faithful in these trying times and, and as you see families and people drifting away? I'd say the most important thing is to remember that uh, God loves you. That's the main message, uh, you know, especially in the, in the face of uh, fear and uncertainty and all kinds of different things going on. Uh, that's the main message of the gospel. Um, God so loved the world that he sent his only son. That's John uh, 3, chapter 3, verse 16. He sent his only son into the world so that we might have life. Uh, and in fact, my Episcopal motto is uh, in Latin, lex cordis caritas, the law of the heart is love. And uh, I take that from two different passages of the Bible, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. Jeremiah book 31 uh, says, uh, chapter 31 says, God will write a law on your heart. And then in uh, St. Paul's letter to the Romans chapter 13 uh, is where um, St. Paul says that love is the fulfillment of the law. So I kind of put those two thoughts together, that, that love really... Um, is, the, is the law of the heart. And so when I was installed on June 22nd, 2010, I, I sang a little song as I, I often like to do. I, I did a song from Brian Luttrell of the Backstreet Boys <laughs> and uh, it's a song called Jesus Loves You. So, uh, and that was my main message. That was the message when I came here is just to tell people Jesus loves you. And uh, so if, uh, if that's the, the main message people get from my time of being bishop of this diocese, then I think that will be mission accomplished. Definitely. Bishop Aprocki, thanks for coming on. Thanks for your 10 years. We hope for many years more with you. And thank you for your leadership and also approving of this podcast so we can, you know, use this new medium to hit more people across our diocese in the country. You're welcome. God bless you all. Thank you. This has been Dive Deep. If you'd like more podcasts, head on over to dio.org slash podcast, and we will see you next time here on Dive Deep.